First, I wave my magic wand and say the magic words, a la peanut butter sandwiches. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Buff bourguignon. French beef stew in red wine. We're going to serve it with braised onions and mushrooms and a wine dark sauce. It's a perfectly delicious dish. Oh. Uh. So we could put in a little more tomato paste or a little more thyme. In this case, we're fortunately find it's just right. Now for the thickening of it. Now we want to get our pan hot and we're going to saute it in this first until it's brown and then we're going to put it in this pot in which we're going to cook it in the oven. Now this is going to go in a 325 oven and it should cook very, very slowly just at the bare simmer. And once it's in, except for checking the oven to make sure that it isn't bubbling and boiling. You don't have to look at it anymore. Then all let the soft grain out. And then we simply put the stew back into the casserole. There. You want the flavor of the onions and the beef to all blend themselves with the going a little too hard, so I'll put it inside. There. About two or three minutes, if you have it in the ice box, you heat it up very slowly and baste the meat with the sauce. And then, and then you cover it and, and simmer it very slowly for about two or three minutes until everything is tender and hot through. Well, now this is ready to serve right now. Hi, this is Ingrid Kuksugare from Sweden and you're listening to Eat It and Beat It on the Two True Freaks Network. Oh, vad jag är blöt. Hello, welcome to Eat It, one half of a podcast about... Food. I am your co-host, Earl Sandwich, and I am here with uh, Hammond Rye. That's right, Hammond Rye. That's it, family name. And if you haven't guessed by our names, we're talking about subs today. Subs, grinders, hoagies, submarine sandwiches. Sandwiches and... Yeah, it's the most important thing in our lives. It's something that we've had from kindergarten to right now, and so we decided that we definitely needed to do an entire show on the humble sandwich itself, which was actually invented by your uh, ancestors, wasn't it? That's that's the story, I guess, although, you know, there's lots of people, I guess, that, that would argue with it. I want to see what Herder has to say. He's going to give you the oh, definitive story of whoever of invented course. the sandwich. We know that that Herder perfected the sandwich, I'm sure. <laughs> but he did, I'm oh, sure like he was probably been... there when they invented it. Mm-hmm. In the Stone Age. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. 
And for those of you that don't remember Herder, I'm sure you you of course you listened to our last show. We dedicated the entire food section to Herder, who is definitely going to be an important part of this podcast because there was probably no one so knowledgeable about food and history and life in general as Mr. Herder. I mean, sandwich wise, like if I'm making a sandwich for myself, my favorite sandwich is going to be like carved up turkey, like, you know, like Thanksgiving style turkey, um, oh. thick slices of cheddar cheese, some spicy mustard, um, um, then a layer of avocado with cracked pepper on top of it and roasted red peppers that would be like my idea like i'm making myself like the most satisfying sandwich ever that would be my sandwich but for the for for this episode i'm going to stick mostly to my sub sub experience just because sandwich roasted is red. so wide reaching you know i we could do a whole show and maybe someday we should do a show just on peanut butter sandwiches Oh my God! Yeah, I, I mean, just on peanut butter, shit. Peanut butter is, I mean, what's better? I mean, Not yeah, much. Sa- sandwiches. The 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 thing about it is is the grinder, the hoagie, the subs. They're basically the same sandwich, but but hero. It just depends on you know where you're at. If you're in New York, you're gonna get a hero, you know. And uh, if you're more toward Boston, you're gonna get a grinder. And if you're in New Jersey. I mean, it's a sub, and if you're somewhere you know in the Pennsylvania area, you're gonna get a hoagie. Yeah. And 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 a hoagie, it's, they're all they're all sandwiches, but you can't if if you, if you call one the other in another place, they're gonna go, what are you talking about? Here it's a hoagie. Here it's a here it's a grinder. Here it's here it's a sandwich. And you know, living in New York, I have to say that I think that we are definitely in sandwich country. I mean. I can't understand how anyone would go to Subway when you live in New York and you can just go to any corner deli and get just the best made sandwich anywhere. I don't understand. Subway exists when, (laughs) you know, you have $5 and you're just like, okay, how can I get the most most relatively healthy fast food for $5? That's where Subway comes in. I mean – I've had decent subs at Subway before. I've had some of the worst subs. Uh, just about a month ago, I went to Subway, and I don't know why I went there. And the kid behind the counter had obviously just gotten up. Uh, it was about 9.30 at night and uh, had probably been hitting the bong and probably only had like four <laughs> or five brain cells to rub together before that. And just uh, at, at some point during the making of the sub, I should have just said, dude, dude, just never mind, and, and walked out and said, no, no, that's no, that's not happening. But I was hungry and trying to be nice, and it was, and when I got home, it was, you know, getting getting bad food, disappointing food when you're hungry is like one of the worst experiences. It was just like, I'm never eating at Subway again. Never happened to me at Drek Subs. <laughs> They've always been exactly the same. Hard. It's busted up. I mean, and and it's one piece of ham. You know, it's a, no, there's no love in that sandwich. But dress subs, I, I love, I love that story. And if, and you know, if you are one of your groupies out there, I'm sure you've heard this story. 
before, but it's definitely worth worth telling again. Uh, if you don't mind, I, I think that definitely we've got to hear it because it's a heartbreaking story. And and uh, as so many stories are that don't have great endings, uh, they have good beginnings. It's not as awful as 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 it's not it's not horribly apocalyptic anyway. Um, Drek it breaks sub, my heart. <laughs> Drek subs is 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 when you're talking about like local food. That's the um, it's there's it's probably only. Um, the direct subs there's there's definitely in the Carthage Watertown where I grew up area there's probably three or four five six direct subs and often off a few miles you know in in about an hour in every direction you might find a few more direct subs but that's about it and it was it was founded by a bunch of uh, teachers in my in my middle school and high school and they all used I think the letters from their first names to form J-R-E-C-K Drek Subs Drek Subs, a meal for your money not a snack, that was the ads and that was pretty much it for subs in our area, that's what you know, and as a little little kid, subs were too big for me to eat, you know, they were too much food for me to eat, I'd get a little piece off my, and all I could subs were something my dad would bring home that were, you know, wrapped in that deli paper and, and direct subs had really good oil and it would just be soaked in oil and, you know, squishy with oil. And, oil and vinegar? Uh, oil, it was, it was, a, it was a sort of spicy oil. I don't think oh. it had vinegar, vinegar in it, although you could get oil and vinegar or Italian dressing on it too. Um, but uh, a direct sub, like a, a full, like a foot long direct sub was basically like a glorified hot dog roll it was really spongy squishy white bread and you know if you got the oil and if you got enough oil and mayonnaise on it it would just make it you know almost like a a sponge um delicious and uh that that was basically what i associated with 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 subs they also had some really good um red red peppers which they called hot peppers which to you know nowadays I don't you know they're just slightly tangy <laughs> to me but that was hot peppers and uh you know the only the only other if you wanted to spice it up more you could just put pepper you know red pepper flakes on it from the shaker but um so I grew up with those and when I came here to Rochester there weren't any direct subs then there was for a little while you know, this is in the early 90s when the son of one of the owners would sh- bring all the bread up to Rochester, and that was not a very good practical business model, so they didn't last long. So, direct subs was something, and unfortunately, is something to this day that I only enjoy when I go back home or near that area. Um, about two years ago on Garage Shale Gloat, the Garage Shale podcast I'm on, my, my Garage Shaling partners, Scott McGregor and I were uh, cruising around and, and just stumbled on a Drek Subs, and it was the happiest day of our Garage Shaling lives. You know, we got went in, got some Drek Subs, they were the real thing. Delicious, so we were so happy it was there. It was in a really horrible location. And about three weeks later we went back to get some more closed down 
So recently we found out, eh, it closed down, but it just moved. It was in a Walmart. So this week Here. on Grashale Gloat, we, we set the Walmart into our Garmin and went there, and it was supposed to be open according to their schedule, but it looked closed. It had the the shutters down. So no direct subs in Rochester, it looks like. It looks like I have to, it's a two and, at least a two and a half hour drive. And no, we could probably go to Oswego. So probably about an hour, hour and a half drive if I really want to get direct subs. Well, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I t- see, that's a heartbreaking story to me. I mean, I, I know what it's like to. I can I know taste one right now. I can taste yeah. exactly what it tastes I, like. I, too, have known loss in my life for a while. I was addicted to a place called Bob's Hoagie Steaks back in uh, Hayward, California, and we would go there every day during the summer. Every day. We didn't have jobs. You know, we barely had gas. We had to go get a Bob's Hoagie. And I remember my friend uh, Adam, one time we were in a parking lot doing something, and some guy came up and sold them some jewelry. (laughs) Real cheap. It was a huge gold chain with an anchor and Jesus on the anchor. And he said, yeah, it's real, it's real. So he bought it. And uh, we didn't have any money. We wanted to go to the sandwich shop. So we went to the pawn shop, and the guy looked at it, and he laughed. He did the acid test, and he goes, well, if it's real, it won't turn green. If it turns green, it's fake. Dropped the acid on there. The whole thing just blew up into a green moss. Right. <laughs> so it was an entire fake. It was The guy, he paid like 40 bucks, and he goes, oh, it's worth 300 so we were we didn't know what to do. So we we went down to Bob's Hoagies. It was run by a Chinese guy, and and we said, "Hey man, you trade us some hoagies for this chain." He looked at it, he goes, "That's not a real chain. That's not a real gold." And I said, "Yeah, but look, it's got an anchor on it, man. No one's gonna Sounds know." Sounds like Watto from uh, Episode One of Star <laughs> of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I give you uh, two hoagies for that with no peppers. All right, all right. So we traded in our his fake gold necklace for two Bob's hoagie steaks, which was the and you know and whenever I go back, Bob's hoagies is still there. But I'm so afraid that it's not gonna be the same as it was back, you know, in the in the nineties, early nineties. I can almost guarantee you it will be. I can almost places like that don't mess with when you got a name and you got a product. You don't mess with it. You know, they might have added stuff. They might have cleaned up the inside and given it a renovation or something, but you probably could get the same hoagie steak that you I could mean, in the I mean, what I want 90s. is I want to walk in there and see the Chinese guy, Bob, wearing the big anchor around his neck, still making my it's Most likely Bob so, Jr. or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, it could be Bob Jr., you know, but but uh, it would break my heart. If I went in there and I tasted it and they had somehow, because that that's the type of relationship that you have with sandwiches and with well, what food if you got there? What if you got there and it was exactly the same? Oh, well, I know, but, but I'm not a gambling man. I mean, part, <laughs> of me just want, part of me just wants to live with the memory and just lock it up in that in that special place and uh, but you know what uh, you, you convinced me there there will be a follow up next time i go yes 
I will post it on on our website. Once now it's this... re now it's officially researched, so you have to do it. <sighs> Bob's Hoagie Steaks. It's still there. I, the the bowling alley closed, but in that little strip mall in the corner, and it's been almost probably been there almost 30 years now. So he's not going anywhere. So I'm definitely gonna have to go in there and see if they still have the Mexicali Hoagie, which was thin thin slices of beef grilled with a little squirt bottle of some kind of oil freaking cheese spicy cheese and then uh, green peppers that he would throw on there and grill the whole thing and then serve it on a on a roll and uh, and uh, that's what uh, that's what we would we would do so I hope hopefully like I said now, now that it's uh, now that it's there I'm going to uh, I'm definitely gonna try it try it back and do a follow-up report well I would be remiss and and actually I've been remiss in the in the last <laughs> what is this ep like the seventh episode by now or the eighth At episode least. um i never mentioned our namesake eat it and beat it which was a sub shop oh that's right that definitely by scott does. gardner's uncle and his, his other uncle randy always worked either was working there or just going up there to get a cheesesteak hoagie and many jokes were made about Uncle Randy's gut and cheesesteak hoagies. <laughs> now, how long did uh, the sub shop last? It was there for a long time. It's not, There's a Chinese place, the Chinese takeout place there now, but it was easily like probably at least 15 years. It was, there. it was there all through our middle school and high school. It was in a very, it was in a very good location. It was in a it was in a great place to pick up people as they were going into work, and it was in a great place. It was right at the edge of a military base, and uh, so they got a lot of GI traffic, and they were right by a road with a lot of traffic, and it was just a good, yeah, a good little bit, you know, fast deep fried food, um, subs, and uh, always a video game in the corner. Sounds like paradise. Yeah. So as as far as growing up, were you a, a brown bag lunch uh, yeah. sandwich take the school kid? What yeah, what was your go to? I, I, what was your I was I was too. I would not go near the 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 smell that came out of our when I I still remember being in kindergarten, and having my ticket for the school lunch, and being in line and and the smell that came out of the kitchen, the cafeteria kitchen. I I was like nope I'm not eating this and then I was brown brown bag from that point on. Awesome for me, for me it was just a simple peanut butter and jelly man I think that's what I my what I had every single day was a peanut butter and jelly and I could still I could still probably have at least one or two a week man easily. I I alternated between peanut butter and jelly, um, some sort of bologna and cheese, and um. I liked. I don't even know if they make it anymore. The ham and cheese loaf. Remember the Oscar Mayer ham and cheese loaf? Oh yeah, with the little with the little bits of cheese little in there. Blo blobs of cheese in it. I would I would eat those. And if I was lucky, if it was the day after um, um, meatloaf night, I would get a cold meatloaf sandwich. Cold and meatloaf. That was, sandwich. That was the ultimate. It's just like yes, cold meatloaf today. Cold meatloaf and ketchup sandwich. Always. You know, also thinking about sandwiches. Now I'm thinking about the fried bologna sandwich, which was always something that I that I loved, and I and I would never 
I could never do that little cut in there so it would fly uh, fry flat. It always had to have that little curl on it. And uh, it wasn't here till I got to New York that I could go to a deli and figure out that I can get like a really thick cut of bologna. Yes. And and make a killer fried bologna sandwich, yeah, man. We we do that where I where I work. We get a big, you know, big chunk of bologna and smoke it. And then oh yeah, smoke bologna. It, slice it thick. Is is perfect. Perfect stuff, man. And and you know, I was as we were talking about Herder. Uh, and his take on you know food in general, I decided I was going to actually try to um, to make one of his uh, sandwiches that he talks about. And uh, this I this, heard you actually succeeded. Yeah, yeah, I did. This is a sandwich that that was actually Ernest. You know, we talked about Ernest Hemingway a lot last uh, our last show. Um, we made a drink from Ernest, and uh, but you know what? The, when you find a good thing, you got to stay with it. So uh, Ernest, we Ernest Hemingway seems definitely... like a good spirit animal for this show too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he, he, Orson the... Welles. <laughs> yeah, with the exception of the shotgun to the head, which is an un- an unfortunate uh, thing to happen to your spirit animal. But uh, other than that, uh, he was you know, Herder says, uh, and I quote. He was a real nice guy. He didn't go out much at the end, except to very special parties, and I never saw him when he wasn't happy. Ernest was just as great an eater as he was a talker. He made a sandwich that I always liked. Take a good piece of white bread, preferably French or Vienna, butter the bread on one side quite heavily. Don't use margarine. The only good use for margarine is for children's suppositories. Nice. Spread a generous amount of peanut butter over the butter. I like chunky style myself best. Then spread a layer, a heavy layer of chopped raw onions over the peanut butter. Ooh. And top with a few slices of crispy bacon. This sandwich leaves just nothing to apologize for anyone. And when you're having one, Make sure you say your prayers for Ernest Hemingway. So, for our dear listeners... I have say your prayers for whoever has to hang around you yeah. for the next few hours, I, too. I, I'm <laughs> smelling onions. So I actually have it here. I'm going to actually... I pop open a beer. I'm going to actually take a bite here. And I'll let you know. This Years is, ago, that would have sounded disgusting. Butter. And now my mouth is watering. Here you go. Yep. You know what? There's nothing wrong with this at all. The bacon, the peanut butter, the butter, and the onion. I'm actually going to take another bite. Yep. That's a keeper. That, that That's a keeper, boy. But I wouldn't want to talk to too many people because these are some strong onions. But I like strong onions. And that's a good crusty bread. Are red or white onions? I'm using white. <clears throat> white onions chunky peanut butter, bacon, heavily buttered on one side, and then peanut butter wow. on top of the butter. And that might be about it. <laughs> it's kind of like when you guys eat the candy. <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, one bite is really good, but I don't know. If I took any more of that, I think I'd probably like just have to go cry in the shower in a fecal, in a fecal, <laughs> in a fetal position, you know, and just, and fecal. <laughs> you almost said in just, the fecal position. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll probably be doing both after that. i got to have a swig. But, yeah, definitely Earn, old Ernest 
knew what he was talking about in the sandwich department. Uh, do you remember those scholastic magazines that you, you used to get through school? It was like bananas well, like dynamite and, and dynamite like and stuff. One of them had sure. a recipe I remember that was like this daredevil sandwich recipe when I was a kid, and it was um, peanut butter, bananas, lettuce, and mayonnaise. Wow, did you try it? I did, and it was fantastic. Oh. And it was well, like, you're not you going to believe this. It's good. It sounds awful. And then wait, wait till you try it. And like the lettuce was just regular iceberg lettuce. So it just was there for crunch. But I was just thinking w w when you're talking about this sandwich, that adding the bacon to that sandwich would probably be, yeah, the, the, the mayonnaise oh. and the peanut butter did a really interest, did a really delicious thing together that you wouldn't have expected. But that was before oh. I knew that salty and sweet and savory and sweet can no, go the, together the, really well, yes. you know. The, the bacon adds just the perfect amount of salt. Salt, yeah. To, to cut the, the bite of the onion. But it's, it's funny you should mention those magazines. I remember Dynamite Magazine was the first magazine that taught me that I should stir peanut butter into my hot chocolate. And... And I've never first, heard of that. Oh, they had a hot chocolate uh, spread, letting you know marshmallows here, you know, put this in here. One of the things was just get your hot chocolate, take a spoonful of peanut butter, and stir it into there. Oh, it made this fat kid happy. I imagine. I imagine. It happy. reminds me of people who put the butter in their uh, in their coffee. <laughs> old school. That's old school. And and actually, bacon and peanut butter is an old timey sandwich too. Bacon that and was peanut a... butter go together really well, yeah. Yeah, that's why I wasn't so I wasn't so uh, freaked out about the bacon and the peanut butter because there's a lot of really old time sandwiches that 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 people used to eat. I mean, hey, there was nothing left over. Whatever you didn't eat during I... the depression, you made a sandwich out of, man, and that I... was it. I proposed a peanut butter and bacon sandwich as a. As a, a like a toasted like a slightly grilled peanut butter and bacon sandwich as like something to put on the kitty meal for the fussy kids that come into oh, where we work, yeah. but they shot it down. They're like, no kid, no fussy kids gonna eat uh with bacon. You know, you just have to make peanut butter and jelly, and it's like, yeah, you're right. When you know, I work I at the Mexican you, anyone place, that tastes a peanut butter and bacon sandwich is when, gonna when, like it. When when I worked at the Mexican place. We used to have a big tub of peanut butter there and some jelly in case certain kids came and they didn't want to eat anything. And, uh, you know, the waitress would just say, uh, you know, we can make you a peanut butter and jelly burrito. And that became so popular that it ended up on the menu and then adults started ordering it. <laughs> oh, it yeah. Just my, a burrito uh, shell with peanut butter and jelly on it and people went yeah, nuts. My, you know, my dad, being from Texas, Growing up, that that was his uh, lunch was peanut butter and jelly on a flour tortilla, you know. And what is a tortilla? What is a burrito but a sandwich, man? I mean, really? Yeah. You can. My dad used to used to make used to take all the leftovers that we had and wrap whatever it was in a big tortilla and take it to work. And everybody wanted it. If we had had corned beef and cabbage, the next day it was a corned beef and cabbage burrito. He would take it to work, and he had to make five or six of them because, you know, it's something about just just food that you can just eat simply, and, and you know, you don't have to knife and fork it, which is, a, though, you know, like you were saying, it's the whole Earl of Sandwich uh, legend, too. The dude loved to play cards so much, he had no time for freaking 
knife and fork. Bring me some some you know meat on a on bread, and then bread was used as plates for the longest time. Still, bread was your plate. So, hey, we are linked to sandwiches for all time. Now, do you have um, for say a sandwich or a sub shop, deli shop? Do you have like say my litmus test for diners is the meatloaf? Do you do you have a litmus test for yeah? For if a deli? I'm for 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 my money. Baker's Dozen here in Kew Gardens. I've never had a place that makes it better. I'm a big fan of the bagel sandwich. Mm, so yeah. if I go if I go somewhere and I want to pack something, I'll stop off there. I'll get an everything bagel, toasted, with mayo, salami, and cheddar cheese. That's it. And you know you know how sandwiches are, man. They really run that that machine, and they will slice that freaking salami. Thick, 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 thick. And I have a big wad of yeah. thinly sliced salami in there with a bunch of cheese. Wrap it up, cut it. Man, that is my go-to sandwich here in New York. Sometimes if I'm feeling a little frisky, I may get bologna. But that's only for those days when I'm feeling naughty. My 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 litmus test is the is the meatball sub. Meatball sub is a tough thing. Yeah, the meatball has to be the bread has to hold up to yep. the meatball, and the meatball can't be like a substandard rubbery yep. which it usually is thing. it's usually a meatball yeah. from a bag from a food service place no i and, don't usually go for the meatball sub because it's always a disappointment and this is another sad story the place just closed down after moving it used to be two blocks away from here down at the end of the street it was uh mr mr sam's Cobbs hill pizza and they made the best their 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 sauce for one was outstanding and it was you know two two italian subs or two italian subs two italian boys sons making their mom's sauce but they made their meatballs too were homemade meatballs and they were lumpy and and nice. you know just gnarly and delicious and uh their meatball sub was the gold gold standard and and uh when, when i worked in this one place this one cook would you know just sort of, um, you know, if 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 anybody was running a sale or anything, or he, or he was going by Mr. Sam's or Arby's had five for five, he would stop in and get a bunch of food and come in. And when we saw him, and he'd had the you know the the long thin sub bags, but you saw that the subs were wrapped in aluminum foil. You knew we were getting meatball subs that day, and everybody's just like, yes. Because they knew he'd been to Mr. You Sam's for the the meatball subs. Yeah, Mr. Like Sam, our best sandwich shop just is. Or I don't think it's closed yet, but it's closing. Uh, it was called Open Face, and they made their own bread, and cooked their own meat, and sliced well, it there. They they their specialty was the the thing that made it for me, not just the really good ingredients, is almost every sandwich had some sort of crunchy wafer in it and they they would either make the wafers out of sweet potatoes or out of really thin wafers of parmesan that they would toast and until they were crunchy and and browned and like golden brown and all you can put that parmesan on a so delicious and they also were really he he did this the guy who ran it did this uh he would uh pickle carrots and ginger 
and they were, and they would be one of the side dishes you could get. And he also had a ginger dressing that was just un- oh, it's so delicious. See, places like that, I just I just don't think they can compete with with people that, that are gonna when Subway offers, like you said, a five dollar sandwich. You weren't getting I mean, anything for five dollars. That's the thing is a sandwich. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, I used I mean, to work how, next how, door to that that place, so I could do trades with them, and they would give us discounts and stuff. But just normally to walk in there, it's going to be twelve, thirteen dollars for yeah, an I mean, uh, amazing sandwich, an amazing experience. But yeah, it's just it's not as affordable when you could spend you seven dollars on a sub that'll feed you twice. Yeah, sandwiches are like that too. Once you've had once you've had your your good sandwich, you know it's like yeah. a woman. Once you've had the best, everything else is just not as good. And there's it'll a, always there's, be in your memory. There's a bakery that's only open till three. That's right down the street from us, and it's in a really fancy schmancy. I hate it place sort of gentrified sort of place and but they make really good ten dollar sandwiches there too but i often i i it, that's a place where i break down every once in a while i'll go there and go okay i'll get your sandwich and it's all pretentiously <laughs> right. rat everything about the place is just pretentious yeah. and and every you know, their food and their bread's up. really good and stuff but it's just you know, it's too precious and you know that, smells, that sort of corporate of down hominess, and... you know, or not? It's not corporate, but it's like a design down hominess. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of elitist and snotty. At the same time, there's, there's, I, I'm the poorest person in there that's not working. <laughs> you know, whenever I walk <laughs> in, I'm, there, I'm always just like, I feel like the cover of the Jethro Tull Aqualung album with the bum, you know, with the snot dripping out of his nose. It's like, give me a ham sandwich. Take your sandwich and leave, sir. Yeah. No, well, you know, I mean, basically, I'm the kind of people probably all the the people that work there hang with. But (laughs) all the people in there eating and waiting in line are definitely just like, oh, my. Oh, goodness. Such a brute. yeah. What are you gonna do? That's the future of sandwiches, man. The thing I Hopefully. hate about subs, the 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 the, the turn off with me with subs, and there's some places that, that that's their specialty and people like it. I hate it when you get a sub, and their 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 whole thing is like, how much meat can we stuff into this? You know, almost to the point of where it's like you're getting an incredible deal, because it's like yeah. they just stuff two pounds of meat into the of cold cuts into this somehow and. You know, I don't know how they afford that or whatever. It's not appetizing to me though. That it doesn't work. It's it's that balance when you get the good balance between the right amount of meat, cheese, and you know, vegetable products and and sauces and spreads no, I mean, that it works perfectly. You know, you get that you get that in the city when you when you go to some places where you you the tourist places that'll make you a you know a corned beef sandwich. And yes. the big thing to make it so incredibly high that they charge you twenty bucks for it, but no, you can't get another plate, you know. And it's just ridiculous to me. Knife and fork sandwich, forget it, forget about it. I can't. Yeah, I, well, it's not, not appetizing to me. It's just like eating a big no. chunk of meat, which is okay for a little while. But corned beef is kind of salty too. <laughs> so you work halfway through that, and you're like eight glasses of water into it, you know, to to get one of those things down. Oh, absolutely. I mean, no. yeah, that would be the kind of place where I'd eat like a quarter of the sandwich maybe and then just take the rest of it home and just sort of be like, I'll just snack on the meat off this for a while. 
pretty much, pretty much. But it has to be the perfect meat to bread ratio. To uh, if you want lettuce, you know, I I, I want a sandwich is going to have lettuce on it, man. It's got to be like iceberg to me. I don't want any leaf lettuce. I don't want anything that's going to get soggy. If I want to pick up the sandwich later on, first thing I'll do is just pick out the lettuce and the tomato and go for it. But I, I can't eat, eat it. it right away, and it's not iceberg yeah. lettuce. Maybe spinach, you know, maybe some ah. fresh fresh spinach. But only if I'm going to eat it like right then, because even when the iceberg goes, I like I'll. If I'm going to eat a sub like in two two chunks, one later, and it's going to sit in my fridge for a while, I'll either take the leftover lettuce off it or purposely get it without lettuce because I don't uh, – there's nothing worse than lettuce that started to go limp and drippy. Well, that, I don't know if you ever had the Vietnamese bong mai sandwich. Yes, I have. Uh, that is, to me, the perfect melding of – Yes, you know, of the the French baguette because of the French influence in Vietnam. Sliced pork pate, if you get it correctly, grilled wonderful pieces of pork marinated in like fish sauce and soy sauce and ginger, and then pickled um, onion, carrot, and like a radish slaw on top of it, and some sliced jalapenos, cilantro. Throw that top bun on, wrap it up in wax paper. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I haven't had one. Well, the first in years. layer, they, they they also have a butter that they put, and it's it's so subtle you don't it's thin, so you don't really like notice a layer of it. But they have a seasoned butter that they put into it too. That's oh, I believe it. And yeah, I I, I, I we have a couple banh mi places here, but the two that were best have both closed down unfortunately. There was a guy he actually went to Vietnam. And worked on the street with his with like his uncle who ran a bon me thing for like a year to learn like all the secrets. And uh, oh See, boy, places like that just should shouldn't close, man. They just shouldn't close. No, it was that, a wonderful. Is... It was, and you could tell the place. And he also did pho, but he did that like sort oh. of off the menu. But his wife would do fresh pho, and um, after a, a while, the place was filling up with either Vietnamese people or Vietnam veterans. <laughs> so you knew it was good. Oh, yeah. you know, when you went in there and there's a guy with one leg just like this is this is perfect, <laughs> perfect, you know. And they would they would do also I don't know what the dish is called where they would where they would just bring you a boiling pot of, of broth and you would have thin, 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 thin sliced vegetables and raw meat and they would just dip it in this boiling broth that would have a you know, maybe a sterno underneath it to keep it boiling, and they would just dip oh, yeah. it in there just to cook it just enough and um, eat it. Yeah, and, that's uh, some good stuff, and it's usually pretty affordable too. Oh, everything know? there, everything there was like five or six bucks. You know, it was that was another uh, thing is it's like how do you afford the rent? They were in a in a fairly expensive place to be too, so it was like you would have to have that place bumping. 24-7 just to pay the rent there. Man. But speaking of paying the rent, we got to get to the other part of the show. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 right. That's right. Let me just, I'm, I'm going to go. I'll slip into my sweatpants and and, um, and, and, and get ready for... Pants. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you go, you go ahead and wear pants, Mr. Square. <laughs> pants, yeah. Daddy-o. Forget the pants. <laughs> 
Oh my god. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm definitely ready, ready to uh, to bring it on. And and that's right. Since we've been talking about grinders, and uh, we are going back to the days of the grindhouse cinemas in Times Square. And we have got a lot to cover. Uh, not unlike covering a wonderful sandwich in mayonnaise and butter, we have got a, we've we've got a spread, a full spread for you folks, and I do mean spread. So uh, go to your business. We'll be right back and uh, get ready to roll. Doctor, it burns when I pee. Me too, thanks to Atomic Flamin' Hot Cheezos, the hottest cheese-flavored popcorn snack you can buy without a prescription. Wow, my God, that burns! But these Atomic Flamin' Hot Cheezos are worth it. Look for Atomic Flamin' Hot Cheezos behind the counter at your local pharmacy or in your grocer's snack aisle. Atomic Flamin' Hot Cheezos, so good they make it burn when you pee. Burning piss sensation persists for more than 30 days. Discontinue use of flaming hot Cheezos. Hello, hello, and we are back. And this is part two of the podcast. This is the second half podcast of Eat It and Beat It. This is the Beat It part. And I am Shecky Slimemonger, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Rubbington Tug. Step on up, folks. Come on down. You're not going to want to miss this show. We've got it all only for the slim price of $1.50. Come an hour later, it's going to bump up to two. So come on in. Bump up, <laughs> if you know bump what I up. mean. Yeah. <laughs> and we are talking about Grindhouse. Our seats are clean Grindhouse. and our bathrooms are well lit. Air conditioned in the summer. Freezing in the winter, but yes, we're talking about New York, especially grindhouse cinema and grindhouse culture. And you know, we could have picked just about—I mean, anybody—to discuss movie-wise for this topic, but we decided to go with the queen of sex exploitation. Yes. Miss Little Miss Doris Wishman, kind of a, a cult fil- filmmaker. Um, yeah, a definite, definitely was uh, a lot. A, interesting, an interesting uh, lady to say the least. She she basically made her movies with with nothing. She had. No, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, we're gonna. There's, there's a little quandary here because. You know, we're covering grindhouses, but this is the porn section, and you know the grindhouse yeah. culture. I mean, you had your cop movies, you had oh. your nudie movies, you it had your Tomsaki movies, all the Jallo movies and Italian bloody movies were coming out. You had all your cheapo science fiction or fantasy movies. You know, there was just a, a whatever you know, whatever sort of off genre or low budget. Ex- exploitation movie it was going to turn up there but so we're we, you know we got to focus on the this if we we're focusing on like the violence uh, bloody we might go Andy Milligan just because he was a New yeah. Yorker filming in Staten Island and stuff but uh and Doris Wishman she was she was New York right she lived in New York yeah she was she was uh New York uh born and bred she 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 moved to Miami 
you know, later on in life, but came back to New York. She was a was a, a New York a New York gal, and so and you like, know, she wasn't flat out porn. And if we did like the no, flat no, out I, porn, I that's sort of gonna like any any porn movie that we've covered so far probably definitely did so far play in Times Square. But Doris yeah. Wishman sort of represents that, you know, made made in New York, was there by circumstance and in, into the business, and was specifically just making movies mostly to go right into those, into Times Square. Yeah, and we're not going to grindhouse cinemas. Yeah. Well, you know, if if you're not from, I, I assume that most. Most people will know what we're talking about when we talk about Grindhouse. But for those of you that don't, I'll give you a little brief, uh, a brief uh, little talk about them. Um, a lot of this information comes from a wonderful book that you recommended to me called uh, Sleazoid Express, which which was just a really fun read. And uh, well, the Grindhouse it's an American term for a theater that would you know it would show mostly exploitation films. Uh, you know the term grindhouse. People you would would think that it would that it came from you know let's grind these movies out, you know as quick as we can. But it actually stems from a strategy that would date back to the 1920s, uh, when a lot of these shows these uh, these theaters uh, would show films you know at cut rate prices, and over the course of the day, uh, the price would go up. So it would be grind. It was called you know it was to grind, and if you drive down uh, present day you know. Uh, Times Square and 42nd Avenue. This is where all these theaters were. And they, at one time, you know, they started out as being regular burlesque theaters and then movie theaters. And and uh, as times changed, and a little thing called uh, TV came around, you know, they had to. Uh, there was no need for all of these theaters anymore, so they had to reinvent themselves, and they had to show movies that you weren't going to be able to see on TV, you know, and that's, or even and, in your and these were, these were yeah, exactly. And these were beautiful theaters. I mean, these theaters were, you know, a lot of them were built in the twenties and they were burlesque shows were there and you could see gypsy Rose Lee at these places. And, and well, you know, they had to, they had to, they had to run with the times. If they wanted to make it, the whole area was called the deuce. And, and it must have been something to see. I, you know, I I didn't see it. I've only seen pictures of it. I've talked to some friends of mine that were there, and most of them just said it was disgusting. But it was. It's an interesting part of New York City history, and well, you can't. Let, you let's can't... face it. New York City was disgusting in those days. Yeah, like Manhattan was a smog. Was bound in smog. It was the, you know, up until the the eighties, crime was. Amazing! There were, you know, huge amounts of crime. Muggings were just like a daily, not a daily occurrence, but they were not an unfamiliar thing to, to a lot of residents. And there were whole parts of New York City that were just wreckage, you know, that were just yeah. like slums or just completely, you know, strewn with garbage and stuff. And Times, and that and part of Times Square was like the seediest, you know, seediest part you know oh it really was and what better place for for people to to hang out and do the stuff that they weren't supposed to do than some of these 
these grindhouse theaters, you know? I mean, you could go in there and do pretty much anything if the cops were chasing you, if there were even cops in that neighborhood. You could hide you out could in the grindhouse all day. Yeah, with you, a... could, you could be in there all day long, and no one would find you. And, you know, they were a haven for, in you know, it gets hot here in New York. And in the summertime, sometimes you could just go into the grindhouse theater, and you would be able to, to get air-conditioned. <laughs> and you would just hang out there or if you're but, a bum you could get catch a few z's yeah catch catch something else too because a lot of them were <laughs> were filthy i mean they they were not they were not i mean they had different stages oh, some stories of the kitty cat rats on the floor and the I stories of the bathrooms are are legendary and horrifying I, and let's face it, they they had one thing in common sex violence you know, karate movies are just just all around some bizarre stuff that developed, you know, a cult following. You had theaters like the Apollo, the Rialto, the Harris, the Victory, the Lyric, you know, all of these theaters. Now, you would if you drive around Times Square, you're going to see Applebee's and you're going to see uh, Bubblegum Shrimp uh, everywhere. And that's where these theaters were, you know, and. And they're gone now. There may be one or two around, but they certainly aren't showing these type of, of, of movies anymore because of a little something called cable TV that like, came well, around. One of them, I think, when I was wandering around in that area last time, usually whenever I come to New York, I give myself a, a little bit of time to get off the bus and, and wander around a little bit. And, like, I wandered through that area. There's, like, one of them, I think, is, like, does magic shows. You know that are sort of, and one of them was sort of like a freak show, um, you know, like a sideshow freak show. But it's more of like the modern hipster type, you know, with yeah. sort of thing. So they've all been sort of gentrified up a little bit, a little bit, or they're they're playing a little bit on the nostalgia for hipsters of that era, but. Really, I mean, people talk about, ah, they gentrified it and drove them all out. They were doomed from the start. They were on the oh, yeah, way I out mean, before any of that happened just by porn technology and TV oh, technology. Yeah, I mean, and, absolutely. And, and they were, a lot of these theaters were owned by the same, you know, company, and they were all interconnected through a series of, of stairways and rooftops and, and, you know, you would show one movie in one theater and then run it across to the other theater to show Sometimes it. Sometimes they would even, if it was a and, successful movie, they'd go steal it and run through the... Through oh, the absolutely. We had movies that they, they had runs of seven, eight years that you could catch some of these flicks, you know? I mean, it, but, but you were right when you said that, that they were pretty much doomed. I mean, it, there's a strict timeline that they followed. If you go through the, you know, during the 20s, you know, they were burlesque, and then then talkies came, the silent movies came, and then your regular movies when everyone would go to the movies, and, and there was a demand for theaters. And then all of a sudden, you know, during the 50s, well, TV came into play, so they didn't need as many theaters. And during the 60s, you know, they started to show what, you know, all the, their little... Uh, nudist colony things and then they had their heyday probably in the in the 70s and early 80s and then by by the 90s that was it with the advent of when people started to get cable tv like i said you just didn't need you didn't need to go there anymore and uh for what it's worth you know times square got cleaned up and people are are 
walking around where there are probably like huge mounds of dried ejaculate everywhere that the tourists have no idea what what this was you know 25 30 years ago yeah it's just buried under two layers of flooring now <laughs> yeah and and so we're going to we decided uh to uh to talk about Doris Weisman Wishman uh because she was she she worked this this whole uh fad and she was there from the start I mean Chris she she started out making uh nudist colony films right and and now remember a couple episodes back or, or, no it was last episode when we had old Russ Meyer when we were talking about old Russ Meyer yeah exactly yeah the, um, we were now here was a guy the- who did exploitation movies that delivered they weren't hardcore sex but you no, can't say I mean, you don't get your money's worth from a russ myers movie no you definitely you definitely and and uh doris, doris wishman is the she's the exploitation where it's all it's not all tease but it's a lot of tease <laughs> yeah. very little oh a lot of tease. I mean, yes you gave me a list of, you gave me a list of what of what movies we should I should watch and and we first decided we were going to watch Nude on the Moon which you know it parallels it's basically a, a nudist colony movie set I mean it, it's it's ludicrous I mean uh you know I I first you can, you can't help but think about comparing it to the uh, immoral immoral uh Mr. T's in that it's it's voyeuristic, but in a different. It's God. How do we even start to talk about this movie? I mean, a little bit about Doris Wishman. Um, you know, she was born in 1912, and she's the daughter of New York. You know, and her mother died. Her father was a hay salesman, which lets you know what the hell New York must have been like right. around that time. Which, uh, you know, her mother died when she was just a kid, and she took to acting after high school. Uh, but found her first job working for her cousin Max Rosenberg, and this guy was an independent film distributor, and he dabbled in uh, art films and exploitation films. And you know, around this time, she got married to a guy named uh, Jack uh, Abrams. Abrams, and uh, it was after his death that she began to produce her own films. And if we're going to look at her films, um, we have to look at the sex exploitation films in general. They go back to about 1957. An interesting uh, uh, decision was made by the uh, the New York the New York Appeals Court, and saying that you could show these movies that were nudist movies, you know. Mm-hmm. But so she goes out and she made one movie, and she goes out and makes Nude on the Moon. But it was considered a sci-fi movie, so it was actually you couldn't show it in New York. It got it got banned because it fit into a different a different uh, category. Uh, go ahead and let's uh, let uh, we have to talk about it because it was I was just watching it and just going oh geez Louise. Hey, it's her it best was, looking it was movie. Really... <laughs> this is her high yeah, budget yeah, opus. Yeah, I mean it, the cinematography. It say what you will. The cinematography is colorful and well yeah, it, pulled off. It it really it really is. Uh, it I guess I'll talk about the plot a little bit. Um, you know, scientist Doctor Jeffrey Huntley inherits a fortune from his uncle and invests it in the uh, development of a rocket ship, built with the assistance of his mentor Doctor Nichols, uh, who looks a lot like Walt Disney. This or, this, this or, fortune that he got 
three million dollars. Yeah, or Pepe Le Pew. I couldn't figure out who he looked more like. A little you of know. both. Yeah, and you know, after they landed on the moon, uh, God, I just the spacesuits. It's worth looking up this movie just just to see the way they dress these guys. It was almost like a Wally Wood um, comic. Yes. You know? Yes. I, that's what I kept. Uh, that that's what I get, but it, you know they get it. I mean, there's she had no. No, I couldn't put my finger so, on it. You're exactly right with that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She had no money to film this. Like she borrowed ten thousand dollars from her sister, and and you know they take off in this rocket that's apparently like a legal office. I don't know with no seatbelts, nothing, and they're going to the moon. And they have a little standard stock footage of a of a of a rocket landing on the moon. And all of a sudden, they, they don these ridiculous spacesuits. And after they land on the moon, the pair discovers a civilization of topless extraterrestrials led by the moon queen with telepathic powers. Now, enamored Dr. Huntley, he's enamored by the moon queen, and she allows the men just to take photos of them in their everyday activities. Now, their oxygen is running out, even... Even though they really aren't breathing through any tubes or anything, and they're forced to return to Earth, they just have helmets on. Their necks yeah, are hel- sticking yeah, hel- out. Yeah. yeah, that's it. You know, <laughs> they have to return to Earth because they're running out of oxygen, and they realize they're left their camera behind, so they have no proofs of this. You no know, proof of this alien existence. And uh, gee, well, the the aliens. First off, I mean, I guess it's the dark side of the moon because it was all filmed in Florida. And uh, at a place called Coral Castle Homestead, and so hell, you know, like I said, it considered sci-fi. They were aliens because they had little curly antennas on them, and it was just these two guys and there and 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 the Walt Disney looking dude is like, well, so there's naked ladies on the moon, huh? Take, take. I mean, they're, they're just they don't even care. They're just taking their pictures with their brownie camera, which the somehow. We're, yeah, all for science. The brownie camera that works in outer space, and uh, it's it's a cult classic. But I gotta tell you, it's no the immoral uh, Mr. T, Mr. T's. That's for sure. No, Doris Wishman was not. You know, she wasn't much of a filmmaker. She was get it done. She was like, you know, talk to get talk to a bunch of people, get a bunch of money, get something filmed to get into the grindhouse. You needed a piece of film with pictures on it with boobs. And then you could put it in the grindhouse. And yeah. she was masterful at doing that. And that was about it. I mean, this this movie is the most... The acting in it is um, fairly okay to, to almost decent. <laughs> um, there's some sync sound in it. A um, lot of overdubbing, but still. Some great stock footage, which she had no trouble using at all. No, she has no trouble using all of her footage over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And yeah, uh, but uh, uh, I to me, what makes this the most interesting is Coral Castle. Oh yeah, I want to go there. I I wonder if it's still around. I forgot. Oh, it's it's still around. It's I had I had an obsessive, crazy roommate who was who was (laughs) obsessed with. Edward Leedscalen, the guy who made Coral Castle. And uh, anybody wants to look up Coral Castle, it's a fascinating story. It was this this guy uh, emigrated over here after not being he, he had he had a failed failed romance or he had come over here to 
to bring his bride over here and she decided not to get married and not to come over so he built a castle in her honor he built it himself all alone with nobody watching he did it in the middle of the night and it's made out of impossibly huge slabs of granite <laughs> coral granite that he had figured out a method of of working and moving that was his secret and he wouldn't tell anybody and he wouldn't let anybody near there and he built it out of these huge slabs there were, there was a doorway that was this incredibly balanced piece of you know, 16 ton or something like that piece of granite with a with a rod through the middle of it and it was so perfectly balanced that you could just like push it with your finger and it would turn so you could get in aliens he had aliens that well <laughs> aliens as you get into the, if you start getting into the stories yeah there's uh, aliens aren't always involved aren't the o only uh, explanation that people have come up with oh man he oh was, man he was my 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 roommate was convinced he was levitating them of course and uh, of course. he'd a he'd actually gone to coral castles a few times to to investigate and to try to find <laughs> some of the secrets which people do constantly it's it's, well, it's his really... family owns it and it's just sort of open to the public and you can go in there and walk around it's really hard to do though because it is on the moon I mean, that's got to be a tough ride well, to get there. It's a fascinating. And... He, it's a really neat look. I mean, if you're gonna film naked ladies on the moon, Coral Castle's a, a suitably weird-looking place. And yeah, yeah, with a little bit of dry ice and some water and some mysterious smoke coming out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was it was definitely an interesting place to to film that type of movie. You know, it was it, a good visual direct, visual like, backdrop. You know, I mean, basically when you look at it. It looks like the old nudist pre-Playboy magazines come to life, you know, with that bright yeah. Technicolor color and the women with their natural boobs and just a sort of like, um, there's almost a puritanical <laughs> innocence yeah. to it, you know, it's just so unerotic, it, it can only stem from a much more repressed time and that was the thing about Doris Wishman is is she did all these movies and according to everyone that worked for her she was kind of a prude when it came to like she wouldn't do hardcore she wouldn't do certain you know she was only do certain things and even when people would talk about that she'd be just like don't talk like that you know so she was yeah. a, a strange woman there was a there was an well, you odd know, you, puritanical actually... streak to it the opposite of russ meyer who was just sort of like hey oh yeah we, we yeah we you know you we looked uh we we both watched the interview with conan o'brien that she did yes. and i i kind of got that uh got that vibe from her you know that, that she that's was she was she... being a little bit like hey you guys are repressed but at the same time she was only a little less repressed than them you know she, she was pulling the whole point of like, oh, you guys are so scandalized by the word dildo and, you know, and the content of my movies and, you know, people saying bad things about my movies because yeah, they have was... nudity in them. She was pulling the whole like, you know, sex and nudity are bad, which I'm totally in agreement with. But it, you could tell she there was a certain line and it wasn't very far away from like, yeah, some boobies and maybe the... Uh, 
a little bit of full frontal every once in a while is okay, but nobody's there, touching and, anything. <laughs> and, yeah, and there were even a couple of like naked little kids running around that I was going, oh man, you know that's just a just a little bit creepy. Uh, but you got to have kids on the moon, I guess. I mean, I'm not gonna. Right, right. It's a nudist colony, so and that 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 also were, adds to the educational <laughs> aspect yeah, of it to the realism. Yeah. I suppose. God. But, but yeah, it was definitely, if you're going to look at her work, we have to start from nudes on the, from, you know, nudes on the moon. Nude on the moon is a good place to start. And, you know, she went with the times and, and we could talk about her next bombshell of a movie that you could have given me a little warning about, which. This is the uh, one she's, this is the one like, like all the hardcore, like, Grindhouse movie fans are rolling their eyes right now because they're like, "Oh, geez, you know, of course yeah, you're talking yeah. about this one." But this yeah, is well, this is the one. <laughs> this is the one. Uh, we're gonna have to talk about. We're gonna talk about Deadly Weapons, starring beautiful <laughs> Chest. Uh, what? Ch- Chesty Morgan. Chesty Morgan. Morgan. And and let's just go over her measurements. And uh, you go to the movie poster. It it says. Um, you know, Chesty Morgan, seeing is believing, measurements 73, 32, and 36. Yeah, it reminds and, me of a segment, and, and I can't remember the porn magazine, but it was a, a picture of, it was a segment of all with women with incredibly huge breasts called Pounds Per Square Flinch. <laughs> that's what Chesty Morgan is. She is Pounds Per Square and, Flinch. You know this movie. This movie had it all. I mean, it, it even had Harry Reams in it, who, yes. who I really, I really kick out of. Uh, you know, and and we we can talk about it. It's all about uh, Crystal uh, is is her character, and she's an advertising executive sure. who tracks down the mobsters. <laughs> who tracks down the mobsters who killed her boyfriend one by one, and she uh, seduces each man drugs them and then smothers them to death with her huge breasts and at the end of the movie she finds out that her own father was implemented in the death of her was, was like, lover he's the crime yeah. boss with the yeah. he's the crime scar boss on his hand yeah with the with the big x scar on his hand you see the beginning of the beginning of the movie sounds like it starts out quite innocently there's like a graphic of a little crown you know and you're like okay this is a, and all of a sudden bam there are these two humongous boobs that just come out of nowhere and and I was just oh wow I was not expecting this at all uh, it is it, it it is quite quite the movie quite Jesse the movie Morgan you know is not young she's not no um she's she's not in shape she but has she pens, has, she has bird, bird legs. She can't act. But she has oh, absolutely enormous, not. enormous boobs, and that was that was it as far as it now yeah, this I mean, is this is a movie where like alright, Doris Wishman has taken the helm. You know, the you know, yeah. Nudes on the Moon was a little bit of collaboration. There was somebody else there helping her direct. This is this is the full this is what, you know, Doris this is the template. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we could sit here and talk about about her breasts, but you really have to see this 
to believe it. I mean, uh, you you really do. I mean, a lot it of, is. Yes, and and like in those days, I think the novelty of Gigundus breast was enough for some guys. Nowadays, I think the appeal of her movies are just the sheer like incompetence of the filmmaking mixed with her bizarre what they call style but you know what it really was was just uh methods of getting it done you know yeah so she would have her you could tell she has her story in her script so she filmed films her scenes but there's a lot of times when the scenes wouldn't match up so she would do two yeah. you know there would be a two takes of it or whatever or one take wouldn't quite match up with the other. So what do you do? You can't just cut them together. They'll be jumpy. What do you do? You just film the wall for a couple seconds. <laughs> so she would go in and like with a room, you could tell she went in and like one day she would be like, okay, we'll just film these pictures on the wall. Uh, we'll film this ashtray. Let's film this, this lamp guy's over a here. Real quick. Yeah. Uh, should we focus of... it? That nah, don't yeah. bother. Just get the lamp in there. So yeah. whenever a shot wouldn't match up, you just put in a, a, a bizarre cutaway of the camera panning across the pictures on the wall. And then back to the action that has nothing to do with those pictures on the wall. No, I mean, and the beauty of this was it was very nostalgic for me because it was actually filmed in my grandmother's house, which which was great because the, the, <laughs> sofa, the sofa had the, the little plastic cover on it, which is, which is good if you're going to make this this type of movie and everything about this movie pretty sure is just hilarious pretty sure that uh, pretty sure that was filmed also in that was doris wishman's house <laughs> oh absolutely i mean right right i mean her boyfriend you know he gets a hole he's, he's working for the mob and he gets a hold of a little black book that has all the different names of all these mob associates and instead of giving it over to the mob boss who everyone in this movie sounds like, you know, a Bugs Bunny mob boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. He keeps it. He keeps it himself, and he tries to, you know, extort people with it. Of course, they find out, and Harry Harry Reams and and his other pal just beat the. I guess Harry Reams probably beat him to death with his cock. Um, <laughs> and 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 the whole thing is a revenge. It's a revenge movie. And she uses every she uses every trick in the book. I mean, they she they put her in a bathing suit, and it looks like she actually has four boobs. It, there, it, there's one it, scene they where she's in a house dress, and her when she's talking to her husband, and her boobs are just shoved into this dress and pushing out the yeah. top and the sides. It's the most painful, bizarre, yeah, like, lumpy, yeah. non-erotic looking <laughs> thing ever. You need to you need to, you need to see it. I mean, it's it's just incredible. Uh, you know, and so she, you know, her 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 boyfriend who is he's an asshole. I mean, let's face it, he, he's just an asshole. He's dead now, and she she wants to get revenge. So she's wondering, hmm, maybe I can get a job as a stripper. I wonder. I'm like, well, no shit, you can get a job as a stripper, you know. And she goes and and. And there's a great scene where she's actually staring out the window and she's starting to cry. And you could see the water, the tears well up, and they fall on these gigantic... And, and they dry up about not even a quarter of the way down the poop. They don't have a chance, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it kept reminding me of those 
of those little when you see the baby kangaroos trying to crawl up to their to their mother's pouch, you know, and some of them just don't make it, you know, they just can't do it, or maybe those turtles trying to get to the sea after well, they hatch. Well, let's and get. Let's also address it's just that Chesty Morgan seems to be the most like unhappy. I shouldn't say porn, but nudie actress ever. She doesn't even like oh. making out with with her like the boyfriend guy. It's no. that it's that total closed lip like sort of. You can tell she's just like sort of like yeah, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, just want to let like... the boobs flop out every once in a while. I don't want to make out with this guy. And let's just mention that her boyfriend is just like who's supposed to be this suave like gangster. Oh. Uh, you know, smoothie that's that's charming, smoothie, handsome guy. Is... Oh, he's just an ass. Well, he's, he's just... ju- he looks like he looks like your typical like middle age. There's one point where he goes, "Not bad for a guy pushing 40," and you're just like, "Dude, uh, yeah, you're like right. 55." Yeah, no shit. <laughs> I mean, I, you you gotta love. I mean, if I had to count how many times I said "Jesus Christ" in this movie, I swear. Shudder. <laughs> Uh, and it, there was, I love the the strip. I also want to mention it's it, it, it. Oh well, no, we didn't actually find this one on YouTube, did I? I found this on a on a no, one of these porno you found channels. it on on a, on a yes. <laughs> website that my computer was like, are you sure you want to go? New down the moon is on YouTube though. You can yeah, check I it out found in it its on the moon. But you know, I love I love the strip club, which was basically just. There were two people in the strip club with canned applause and and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, stock footage of these old little old ladies and their husbands clapping. Probably <laughs> Bob Hope, maybe. Yes, it's yeah, some. This, it's like some Vegas show or something. Yeah, it's yeah. like some Vegas. You know, they're, they're they're seeing they're seeing Bob Hope or something. You know, or Buddy Hackett, and they're having a ball. And then all of a sudden, they just they they insert it into the. You do see two real people. There's two real people sitting at one at one point, and she's terrible. Uh, and and she just keeps touching herself. It it just it looks like she's kneading dough. It looks like she was getting ready to make a pizza. I it was just. Well, it was basically her, her 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 burlesque act was here I am, here they are, <laughs> <laughs> and that that was it. And, and I, I I I love I love you know. It was more posing. Uh, it was more like she was pose doing the going through all the motions she would go through on a photo shoot with yeah. a Chesty Morgan photo shoot than in a in a strip. This was long before pole dancing was <laughs> a oh, big no. thing. And, and I'm sure there was pole dancing, but it wasn't integrated into it as much. So, and Harry Reams was looking good. That stash, he had that stash looking great. And and I was watching this, and I was wondering if we were going <laughs> to actually get get through the movie without a sound clip of the springs going boing. But we didn't. We got about almost to the end. And she's uh, trying to get a job with the with the sleazy strip club manager. Nah, he never had experience. And all of a sudden, she just un- she does her blouse, and there it is, boing. <laughs> the guy just looks like, okay. You're hired. You're hired. And and good old Harry Reams, who just about all he does in this movie is has this terrible laugh, like. <laughs> 
This but, was an easy paycheck for Harry Reams. Oh yeah, he didn't even ha- he didn't even have to do anything. He didn't have know? to drop all in it. No, the only other nude woman that you saw was a woman that played Harry Reams' uh, girlfriend, who'd had a couple of flips in the swimming pool uh, before before uh, she was trying to uh, to murder Mu- oh, Harry. Mu- she but, was much more attractive. And like, oh yeah, and in the and the scene, the the quote unquote sex scene with her and Harry Reams. Instead of doing the the closed mouth, they did the like high school like or middle school like first make out sort of just like ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sort of thing like two collie dogs yeah, licking peanut bass, butter out of each other's like mouths. Two bass, two bass fish or something. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but you, you have to. Now, you know, I, at first I thought when I saw the name of the movie, Deadly Weapons, you know, I thought, okay, well, it has to be referring to her boobs. But they were actually deadly weapons. They were deadly weapons. She did and, not cheat you, know, you on and, the and title. And it took a while. I mean, we're not, we're not talking. There, these these scenes where she was smothering these guys, Captain Hook, as they called him, was one of the people that she killed. Uh, it lasted a good while, you know. <laughs> That was, was that, well. That was what everybody was there for, and yeah, with, with, the, with the, the movie's like an hour and ten minutes long, and you have to wade through a lot of dialogue to get to oh, any kind of boobs. You know, and old Harry Reams, he wasn't falling for her tricks until uh, until you know his until his girlfriend finally left, and then he fell to her charms too, and went out what's, the same what's, way. What's funny is all she had to do to get his girlfriend to leave him was to go into the bar and smoke next to them obnoxiously. <laughs> yeah, that and was like, it. Like, reach over and reach over ash in the ashtray. Being annoyed, she was like an annoying older lady that like sat at the bar and his girlfriend's like, who's that woman? I, I've had enough of this. I'm leaving. And he's like, what? <laughs> baby, what baby, come on. About? Yeah, I don't even know her. And it's like, yeah, it's obvious. You know, <laughs> it was... I don't, there was supposed to be something happening in that scene that was communicated that did not get communicated. It was, it's just the most ridiculously awkward thing, but it doesn't matter. It's all just propelled to getting Chesty Morgan's horribly painful-looking boobs out. Oh, and uh, you the, know that, the the rock that's music, a good way to put the, it. the power chords that come out when she pulls out the boobs and starts her power move to 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 kill you know get a revenge is some that's some dirty nasty power chords for that time period that was a little bit ahead of its time it's all, it almost reminds me of like underground and student films from the you know late 80s and stuff <laughs> and and you you hit the nail on the head when you said horribly unattractive boobs i mean i'm trying to, i was trying to find something good you know but she was actually 1988 the guinness book of world records uh, guinness book of movie facts and feats they said that her bust measurement is the largest on record for a film star you have to be a boob fetishist that's why roger ebert you, you was really sort of do. chiding doris wishman on that conan o'brien interview of like you know i went to the why didn't i get to see i want to see your boobs more you know roger ebert really did want to see chesty morgan naked and probably if like he oh, had a dream date with oh, yeah. chesty morgan had, it would be that i had no idea i had no idea that he was he was such an aficionado of yeah the, that's he he wrote a movie for russ meyer yeah, <laughs> yeah buddies. He, did, he did write a movie but i had no he idea he hung around until... russ meyer probably because big boobed women 
hung around Russ Meyer also, you know? You know, I don't think that, that Russ Meyer would have been interested in these type of boobs. Or do you think that... No. That... Well, maybe. I and Maybe later, I guess as he got older and older, he was more into the more just so ridiculous that they, you know, and some of the women who got enhanced to the point of where it was like maybe mental illness <laughs> you know where they would yeah. just get the that would make that make chesty morgan look like a beginner you know they look like they have two of those well um, yeah this movie is definitely a uh has a, a a cult following i mean i read that john waters um even had a little bit of a, a little clip of it in serial mom so I would I would love to hear what Waters would have to say about this movie. He would pro he probably loves it. And, I, and you know what? As bad I I kind of want to see the the what they say is the sequel, which is Agent Double Agent Seventy Three. Yes, which is also infamous. And I guess there's also one, and I didn't get a chance to check out more than the first ten minutes, but it's called A Night to Dismember. That yeah, that was movie. That was and her last. I watched the first ten minutes of it. And it's fucking great. It's a, it's like a sort. Is it? It's well, it's like everybody in this uh, narrate. It has a voiceover narrator that you know that gets into sort of Russ Meyer territory of just awesomeness of where it's like, this is the story of the so and you know Campbell family and they lived in this town, and then one day all the Campbells were dead, and it didn't really say what happened, and <laughs> except for two of them. And, you know, then they grew up and had kids. And then one day, one of the daughters killed the other daughter because, you know, the father favored that daughter and the daughter's taking a naked bath and the other daughter comes in and, and hacks her up with an axe. But then the other daughter, after hacking her up with the axe, and then it's like, but then the other daughter fell on, fell down on the axe and died. And then they, they show the other daughter oh, on the ground with like on top of the axe. And it's just like, oh, my God. It's it's one of those. I mean, she she made she a lot of more movies, liberal with I the mean, violence than she was with the sex. Really, she got pretty violent, yeah. and, and I mean, even in, in in Deadly Weapons, I mean, it's it's charming and funny now, but there was blood splattering on the walls, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, she. I I'm not gonna say there's a there's an argument that says that that she was a feminist, but I'm I'm don't not so sure. I I. I think that she just was a woman that found her niche and and yeah. just I don't rolled think she spent much time thinking of yeah no, the, the exactly. philosophy I mean, behind it. She might have acted in feminist ways because she was a woman in a man's business and yeah. But she, the, the the bottom line is she was a good businessman who could or businesswoman who could shake money out of people to make crappy movies. And that goes yeah, a long way know. in that business because that's all it is, is can you get them out? Can you get them in the theater? And will people pay money to sit in front of them? And they will. And Oh, they, they, they did. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I would have – she, you know, she didn't have a – she had kind of a sad ending. I mean she – I don't know how she, she lost – she must have lost a lot of money. Uh, but she ended up working. She went back to Miami and she was rediscovered later on in life. I, and she was see, I doubt a, she made a, a lot club. of money. I mean, I mean, she probably made a decent living probably. off it. You know. Do you think because she was a woman that she was definitely not given 
as well, much money as... She would also, but that's probably why she would use pseudonyms a lot of times, too. Yeah, she did. But yeah. she was also, she seems to be, she's also New York City and kind of tough, so maybe she might not have um, taken any flack about getting less money. But, you know, the fact of the matter was, it wasn't a big, it wasn't a big money business, you know? I'm sure she she could afford like I'm I'm sure with a me with her measure of success and being also on the money end of it instead of just a director being like all the way through producing and stuff like that I'm sure she had more cuts in it too but you know it probably it, it probably you know she probably could have done just as well working in a store or owning a little store or something you know what I mean yeah, she yeah. probably made a good living, but she's you know she wasn't you know it's not like you know she was a successful Times Square grindhouse filmmaker, and I'm sure she got a bit of a burst of money back when you know they started re like something weird was it started re releasing her videos, but even then they were probably in the public domain by then. Or oh, maybe absolutely. I don't, I'm yeah. not sure, but she, you know, she might have gotten a burst of money from that, or she might have just gotten a burst of money from going and speaking, you know, to all the young people who are all of a sudden aware of her movies from reading about them in in cult movie books and stuff like that. So she probably and and she was a feisty little old lady. So that I mean, that's why they put her on Conan O'Brien, and and you were saying you thought she was probably on Letterman too. You know, and yeah. she probably was probably really did, you know, did a great, you know, they would do, you know, I'll bet you she was doing like screenings of a movie at a college and then answering questions afterwards and stuff like that. So that, that probably brought her some money later in life, but I doubt she like, you know, was going to live in a mansion over it, you know? Yeah. She did so, live to so, a ripe old age though. Yeah, she did. She, she died. She passed away in uh 2002 in miami and she was uh she had uh lymphoma and she was being treated and that's when she passed away so you know she did she did uh live a live a long time and you know she saw the rise and fall of the grindhouse uh days and 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 have you ever seen quentin tarantino's grindhouse i wanted to ask you what you what, what you what what you what's your thoughts on that um seeing it in the theater especially when they showed both movies back to back with trailers before them in the in in between them and actual like slide ads for like Mexican restaurants and stuff it was fantastic it was amazing yeah. it's not a realistic dep depiction of grindhouse like the Quentin Tarantino have you seen it yes i have the the Quentin Tarantino movie is like sort of his take it's a quentin tarantino movie it's sort of like here's here's mine he gives it a little more sizzle than steak you know yeah. and he's like okay but at the same time he's like yeah this is just a movie about fast cars with some good with a couple good characters in it um robert yeah. rodriguez's one is like your dream grindhouse movie really it's your dream grindhouse experience but it's like but there was no Grindhouse movie that had the budget, uh, True. the screenwriting and the talent involved in it to pull off and to pull off that much. You know, every second of it is jammed full of something awesome to look at and that's funny. And it's not like a, a real Grindhouse movie is more like 
um, Deadly Weapons, where you're watching 30 minutes of bad dialogue before the crazy shit happens. And there's stuff to snicker at and go like, oh, this is funny and this is retro and stuff like that. It's a lot of filler, though, you know? There's a lot of just, like, bad dialogue and exposition and stuff, whereas, whereas you know, the whereas Planet Terror was all stake. So it was, it was sort of like, you know, you're, you're, uh, it was, it was a version of what you would picture an ideal grindhouse drive-in movie to be like, because it had every single thing that you would ever, although they had both of them, I don't think either of them had any nudity in them. No, I mean, they, I think there were movies that were set out to be grindhouse movies, Whereas, you know, your real Grindhouse movie was something in and of itself. It, uh, sometimes so some York, art came through with them, but they were mostly made yeah. to, to, to fill, to fill, you know, people were going to be in there watching stuff. If we could come up with something with a great title or any of that, that's great. But we just got to get these things done and fill, fill the time in, you know? Yeah. I mean, so, so New York, better with the grindhouse theaters or without do we lose I mean, something we did lose something yes but you always lose something in the advance of culture and time and technology you know you're always gonna gonna lose something and you're always gonna there's always gonna be like revivals of it now you have the alamo draft house which will do you know little revivals and stuff like that and you know, you're always going to have that aspect of it, but the what made that model possible wasn't the fact that people were like, "Oh, we want this." It was well, yeah. it was, it was to an extent they did want it, but ne but you know why why go into a creepy grindhouse when you can just dial it up on your computer now? And, yeah, exactly. You know, the only way they they could possibly like bring that sort of thing backwards to have like live sex shows or something you know yeah. to top like what people have at their fingertips at home and you know New York is not about to have live sex shows in Times Square anytime soon and no, probably think, for the I think... better I mean Times Square I mean it's better it's safer to be there now I guess yeah. you know that, for... that's my take on it I kind of I, I wish that I had seen it but if I had seen it I probably would have been scared shitless and and wanted to leave I'm glad it was there because it was like a, it was just a natural evolution you know like the dinosaur it it came it had its heyday and all of a sudden it's gone it evolved into <laughs> something else you know mm -hmm. I, I think and you know you look at the pictures and even though i wasn't you know here living in that time you look at the pictures of these things and and you go wow you know that that's part of the history of new york and let's not forget a lot of other cities had grindhouse i mean san francisco had sure. its own district sure. we're not talking just new york but, but it's but an new important york, i mean times square grindhouse is just like the oh. ground zero for it oh, and absolutely. then when you got to the rest of the country if it wasn't a big urban area it was yeah, basically I mean, drive-ins. Yeah, drive-ins, exactly. They're gone, too. And it's just part of the evolution of, of any big city. In New York especially, it's it's a living, breathing thing that, that, that continues to, to evolve. But it, I think that the grindhouse 
culture and the grindhouse cinemas, although they're gone now, definitely need to be remembered and like yeah. like the book, then I recommend it to anyone out there that's interested in learning more about Grindhouse. Uh, Sleazoid Express, written by, I forget the name, but written by people that are actually in it. Sleazoid Express was a magazine that would come out, you know, it's, every it's, week it's or every month. Or, you know, to talk about team, yeah. uh, Bill Landis and Michelle right. Clifford. And, uh, yeah, they, yeah, they and worked, they worked in the Grindhouse. They were there in there. And, I mean, it's just full... It's full. I mean, they mentioned just hundreds and hundreds of movies, most of which can be found on YouTube. So you can yeah, read exactly. this book and go and take a peek at what they're talking about, which makes which enhances yeah, the my... experience profoundly. Yeah, I have a notebook. I you know I read this book after you and of course go to the Two True Freaks link on Amazon, pick it up. You can get it and have a notebook with you. And as you read something and you read about a director that you like, jot down the name of the movie because you're going to – chances are you are going to find it on YouTube. And and that's about as, as you know, piss on your floor, throw some <laughs> – tear up your chair, you know, mess up your bathroom. Invite a couple of bums lights. in. Yeah, let a, <laughs> let a couple of drug dealers and bums into your apartment or your house and have them sit down, Trans you know, and turn off the lights and watch one. Yeah, I think a couple of hookers, and, and that's about as close as you're going to get to the experience of a grindhouse cinema because it's pretty much gone. But but the, it's a great book. It, it, it's a fun read, um, and I really enjoyed it. And another the, another the do great... not mince words. These people are no, hard, absolutely hard veterans. No. When when like I do a horror podcast, and when we talk about, we were talking about some of the more extreme stuff. We were talking about cannibal holocaust and stuff like that. Stuff like that, these guys sneer at <laughs> cannibal holocaust for <laughs> beginners, wimpy beginner stuff. You know, there. nothing until you've seen blah blah blah, and that's the joy <laughs> of this book. You know, the, the, these books are always great because they're not written by people who are, you know. Just trying to make a buck or being just like I'm gonna be like scientific about this these are people who love the you know this guy will be like ah I like this one but it's just not kinky enough for me you know I like mine a little more with a little more of this thrown oh, in you know yeah, and you know, that, and, and that's the what that, makes these great reads and the people that went to these movies I mean they were hardcore if if they didn't like what you were showing I mean they would just start throwing beer bottles right. at the at the at the screen and booing and you know you had to produce and that's what and, and, that's and these, what guys these guys also don't do that hipster thing where they're just sort of like well oh, and the bums these guys worked lived and <laughs> they were bums with the bums and the scumbags and and the filmmakers and stuff and they have a you know they're, they're you know they're they're not there to disrespect those people at all. No, I mean they they will talk about how these theaters were filled with drug dealers, bums, scumbags, prostitutes, and Wall Street executives who would yes. go in there to buy their cocaine, and and you know these were and lonely people in New York that you know that that they couldn't get what they wanted at home, so they would go to these theaters and what better way to spend the day you know and in the arms of bus chesty morgan in the arms of chesty morgan or the something else of chesty morgan you might not get out but uh <laughs> yeah it, it was a great read a great topic just fun all the way around 
And I see by the clock on the wall, we're getting about to the end of this episode. Go on and Yeah, on we could do on. a book. Highly recommend that book. Come back next time when we'll be covering who knows what, but it will be oh, we, food and porn. We never know, but it'll definitely be worth be worth your while. And before you uh, check out um, Deadly Weapons, make sure you take a deep breath, okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> take, take a real deep breath uh, because we really can't. I can't stress enough that, that no matter what we said today, it's, it's not going to prepare you. And it, it, it's like studying to be a marine. And 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 we and we forgot to mention this. We were talking about it before the show. But keep in mind when you're watching Deadly Weapons, try to find where the connection is to the Clint Eastwood movie Every Which Way But Loose, <laughs> and any which no, way you have, can. We actually. have to tell him. We have to. It's it's too right good turn, to, to Clyde. leave. To leave. <sighs> okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The first the first person on 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 that goes to Facebook is going to get a shout out that can tell us the uh, the connection to uh <laughs> which way you put loose, okay? <laughs> We're not going to give it to you. We might after a while, but we're not going to give it to you now. <laughs> okay. That's how the grindhouse goes. It's all tease. That's it. That's per- perfect for this show. We're teasing you. Uh try and figure out the connection and uh let us know and you'll get the official uh, grindhouse no prize. We will we'll, we'll, we'll uh we'll congratulate you. <laughs> or smother you, one of the two, okay? Every which way but lose, you turn me Every which way but lose Inside the fire's burning me In my mind you just keep burning me Every which way but lose If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Uh, um, I got it in the tip of my tongue. Come on. Um, oh, golly, I'm nervous. Let me see. Oh, Alexander Dumbass. <laughs>